A fabringen, in Yiddish a term meaning a joyous gathering, but it's really so much more. It's insight, it's inspiration, it's the bottom line. Join Rabbi Levi Avtson, Tuesdays at 1 p.m. for the Fabringen, only on 101.9 High FM. This is 101.9 High FM. My name is Rabbi Levi Avtson from Linksfield Shul. And here we are live on High FM. You can text me for 519. And you could also poke me on Facebook, um, Rabbi Levi Avtson, Rabbi Levi in one word. Or, yeah, just reach out and um, share your thoughts on this Tuesday afternoon, 1.15 p.m. The song you were just listening to was Don't Hide From Me from Avram Fried, one of my favorite songs, and I think a very appropriate song that many people are feeling during this time. So before we start, make a difference during the COVID-19 pandemic with DISCAM. Your DISCAM benefit points can now go upwards towards supporting the independent solidarity fund set up by the president. DISCAM is matching rand for rand all point donations and will kickstart it with an upfront 2 million rand. Monies raised will go towards saving lives and assisting people in need. Donate now by converting your points via the DISCAM app or website. Together, we are stronger. Together, we can overcome the pandemic. DISCAM, pharmacists who care. Let's get into it. Gosh, honestly, uh, um, what a world. So much, so much going on, so much going on. Um, this is not the topic of my show. I'm going to move on from it, but I do want to share something that I've been feeling the last few days. And I've, I guess I've been venting about it on Facebook a bit. And that is this absolute madness that people have to walk around claiming certainty in a time of uncertainty. Um, I know exactly what to do and I have the solution and I'm telling you that this is the way to solve it. And everybody's walking around as if the Lord has shown up to them this morning and given them the prophecy of how things play out. And for me, faith has always meant not to walk around claiming that I know what the Lord thinks at any given moment. Personally, um, as they say, if you talk to God, you're a believer. If God talks to you, there's something wrong. Um, I've never been that person that really, you know, walks around claiming I know exactly how this thing will play out. I know my principles of faith. I know that Mashiach is going to come. How exactly, when exactly, how is it going to play out? I have no idea. How exactly COVID is going to play out? I have no idea. What's going to be Rosh Hashanah this year? I have no idea. And I just wish I could actually hear more people say I have no idea. It would actually be kind of refreshing, honestly, um, because you really don't have an idea. I know you're claiming to have an idea, and you really have a figure that, and you know exactly what the government should be doing during lockdown, and you know how to solve all race issues. I just wish we all walked around with a little more knowledge of where we're at and to just know I don't know that much. I really don't. I'm pretty clueless. And believe, and getting up every morning is not because I have clarity. It's because I have courage. Clarity is claiming that you know exactly what's the next step. Courage is you have no idea what the next step is, but you walk ahead anyway. Walk ahead. Just walk. Let's all walk together. And if we stopped looking at each other, expecting answers, and we stopped looking at our leaders expecting answers, and our leaders stopped making believe as if they have the answers, then maybe we could actually just get along and deal with this more productively. You know, just yesterday I saw a piece of news on the CNBC, uh, the website, where the World Health Organization just came out saying that people who are asymptomatic with COVID don't really transmit it to others. Well, pretty much the last four months, all we've been told is asymptomatic people transmit it as much as symptomatic. And over here, this thing is that it's very rare for asymptomatic fellows to pass over um, COVID to others. 
say one second, one second, you just created policies all around the world that said that based on the fact that asymptomatic people pass it, and now we don't. Now, I'm not judging anybody. I think the World Health Organization and many other organizations are doing their best. But let's be honest, it's pretty much the way we're living now, the blind leading the blind. And I just wish that we could all say that to each other. Yeah, I know, maybe I know a little more than you, you know a little bit more than me, and together we're going to try to make the best of uncertainty instead of trying to make certainty. There's nothing wrong with doubt. There's nothing wrong with lack of knowledge. On the contrary, I think it's an attribute. It's an attribute to be able to say, I don't know. If you open up the commentaries in the Torah, you'll see over and over the words of Rashi, Eini Yodea, I don't know. I'm not sure. I'm trying to figure this thing out. You know, at the beginning of COVID, when it was still romantic love with this new um, style of life, um, obviously some people were suffering from the beginning, but there was quite a few people at the beginning of the process once COVID entered our lives. There's quite a few people who were enamored by it, were taken aback by its potency and its uh, opportunity and claiming that this is why God's doing it, and that's why God's doing it. I'm telling you, COVID is happening because this has to happen at this time for these people. And I'm like, you know, it sounded convincing. I mean, like, yeah, maybe maybe God wanted us to learn to appreciate family. Maybe. But I don't know for certain. And that doesn't make me any less intellectual. I hope, I think that intellectualism, first and foremost, is knowing the limits of intellect. And intellect and prophecy are two different places. Intellect and prophecy don't cross over each other. So just because I know something intellectually doesn't mean I became a prophet. I remember reading in one of um, Gladwell's books where they've done research on professional predictions, where they'll ask, you know, professional sport mavens about who's going to win the next game and professional um, businessmen, how exactly the business thing is going to play out in the future. And you know what they found? Surprise, surprise. This is going to blow your mind. 50% of predictions made by professionals are false, which pretty much means you don't need to be a professional to make a prediction. You could flip a coin and say, yeah, um, Man United's going to win. Bam, I'm either right or I'm wrong. Now, nobody f- remembers when uh, the prophet is wrong, everyone, because, you know, that, that would happen. But suddenly, oh, wow, how did she know that the that the stock is going to go up? She's a genius. Well, last week she said the stock is going to go down, and she wasn't right. But nobody remembers that. The point is, like, you see it on Facebook, and, and you see it in the social media, this, like, okay, let's go find a new person who knows exactly what the solution is. Let's go move here. Let's go move there. And I'm just... Asking myself a simple question, can we just acknowledge how clueless we are and to accept it? It's awesome. I wasn't put in this world to be God, as far as I know. And I wasn't put in this world to be the Messiah. Yeah, true story. And I'd imagine that most of you listening, or pretty much all of you listening, the same. So what are we here? We're here just to live, to do the best we can in uncertain times, instead of creating certainty in uncertainty. But that was just a 10-minute rant before we even start the show. But before we go to the next part of the show, let's go to an ad break and some music. This is Rabbi Levi Yachsen of Leesfield Shul, and this is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Yachsen on 101.9 Chai FM. Okay, let's get right into it. Gosh, that was a long introduction. 
lots of songs and a whole rant about uncertainty, but that wasn't really what I came onto the radio to share with today. I came on to share today actually a book I'm reading, uh, learning. It's called, the title of the book is actually pretty unexciting, The Book of Essays from the Year 1899. And this book of essays from the year 1899 was authored by Rabbi Shalom Dovber, uh, one of the great sages, Rabbi Shalom Dovber of Lubavitch, um, who passed away in 1920. And he wrote many, many essays, taught many essays that were put into writing. Some of his essays, like they usually go in years. So like if you go to his essays of the year 1906, some of the most in-depth Kabbalistic mystical essays you can ever read or from 1912 to 1916. It's one long um, essay that spans three books. It's called Hemshech I Am Based and it's absolutely mind-blowing stuff. One of the great teachers of Jewish mysticism, Rabbi Shalom Dober Lubavitch. So in this book, which is actually one of the smaller books he wrote, um, some of the other books, for example, the book of 1912 is three fat books, each one with five, six hundred pages. But the one I'm quoting from you now is a book from 1899, Tafresh Notes, and it's a bunch of essays. It was probably the most famous essay that he wrote this year is an essay that he wrote, he started, um, at the beginning of the Hebrew year at Simchas Torah, and then he went on for quite a while, and he would repeat this essay often. It's a 22 section essay. And it's quite, it's quite a read. And fundamentally, it's an essay about unity. It's an essay about getting along and not getting along. And at the times that we're living in, when unity again and again and again and again is the buzzword that so many people are waiting for. Yeah, when will the world get united? When can we all get along? And usually the things go something like this. Well, the world would all get along if we, that means if you, agreed with me. So, in other words, I have it right, talking about certainty before. I have it right, you have it wrong. So if you just came over to my side and actually started seeing things the way I see it, then we would live happily ever after and let us all say amen. But Rabbi Shalom Dober has a very different argument in this essay, this treatise called Hechaltzit. Very powerful essay. It's in, translated in English as well on Chabad.org on the concept of Aras Yisrael, on the concept of loving fellow Jew. And what he talks about here, amongst many other things, but something that deeply resonated with me, it really, really, it's shifted in the last few weeks that I've been learning this essay, it's shifted the way I look at discord, the, the way I look at faribles, the way I look at disunity. It's given me a fundamental shift in how to see things. And what it's taught me is the following. That unity and disunity are a symptom of something else. In other words, unity is not a cause. So in other words, let's work on unity because that's the goal and that will lead to something else. No, unity is an outcome of something else. Unity and disunity are the output of something else. Something causes unity, and something causes disunity. 
And I would ask you, I would, you know, before we go into what his argument is, I would ask you to think about it for a moment. We often see unity as like an independent reality. In other words, independent of other characteristics. Yeah, the world can have its issues, but ultimately let's just get along. As if unity is independent of other human conditions. Just like, let's just get along. I mean, I know different, different lifestyles, different races, different colors, different this, different that, different choices, but ultimately let's get along and let's all live hunky-dory. But Rabbi Shalom Dober has a very powerful insight on the cause of unity and disunity. He sees unity and disunity as an effect of another cause, as an output of an input. You know what that input is? Ego or lack of ego. How much space I take up. Let me explain. Each and every one of us takes ourselves very seriously, um, especially as a child. A child is born and the whole world surrounds them. Thank God my wife and I are blessed with children. And pretty much the, one of the first words a child learns regardless of how lovely and beautiful and fantastic your child is, and I know your child is absolutely a saint and just never does anything wrong. I mean, that's exactly the way you portray her on Facebook, so I'm sure that's the way it is in real life. Excuse that. Um, but one of the first words a child learns is, me, 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 my, 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 me, 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 mine, mine, me, me, ani, ani, me, 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 me. That's the way we naturally um, make our way in the world. And I'm not giving here psychological reasons or sociological reasons. Fact is, children, although they're beautiful and they're, they're so cute, but they're just, they're, they're magnificent, but they're really selfish. Not because they're bad people, but that's maybe the only way they survive. But the fact is, a person is naturally born selfish. Therefore, rarely do we marry children off and we actually condemn it because of many reasons. Uh, obviously, you want to give the kid a choice, etc. But one of the reasons that we don't believe in marriage at the age of 10, besides all the crazy issues, is most people are too selfish to actually have that kind of relationship at age 10. Immature, you could call it. Immature, selfish. Immaturity and selfish, you might actually say, are synonyms for one another. Immaturity is selfish, and selfish is immaturity. They actually cross over quite comfortably. But eventually, as we grow part of the maturity process, or you might say the part of the maturity process is that finally I actually stop thinking so much of myself. I start taking up less space. And then I allow somebody else into my life. I start off with a marriage, with a relationship, and I allow somebody else to fill the space in my house. And then, please God, we're blessed with children. And we allow even less of me to take over this house because there's now other energies in this house. And slowly but surely, the more relationships I build, the more children I have, the more family I have over, etc., etc., the more my home becomes a place of hanging around. What happens? But let me give you the contrast. What about somebody who lives and all they can think about is themselves? The total narcissist, the person who could think about nothing other than what they want now, where the whole world dances around their needs and their wants. I don't know if you know people like that, but they exist. Then there's no room for a real marriage. They can have a marriage, but it's not really a relationship. There's no room for children because ultimately my ego is taking up so much space in the house that there is no room for anybody else. How can we get along is when we stop 
walking around thinking that the whole world is about us. That's what Rabbi Shalom Dober says. That the solution to disunity, disunity is the is an outcome of the fact that I take up too much space and you take up too much space. And because both of us take up too much space, therefore there's no room. You know in communities there's often disagreements. Uh, I'm sure. I don't know, maybe in some communities. So they say. Rabbi Shondoper says, and I'm actually going to quote him because I can't, I can't say it any better. He says it so powerfully. He says, sometimes you find in communities where there's disagreements about everything, especially about communal matters, and especially when it comes to religious matters, that people cannot get along. Not only can't people get along, he says, People will say the exact opposite of their friend. And that which he builds, the other destroys. And they think it's because it's different opinions. Well, you mean my opinion is different than yours. Says Rabbi Shalom Dober, it has nothing to do with opinions. It has to do with divided hearts. These two people dislike each other, or at least one person dislikes the other. And because there is such dislike between one and the other, therefore, I can't agree with you on anything. So two people who always argue, every time there's a communal matter, these two people always argue. And they think it's because they see the world differently. Says Rabbi Shalom Dober, it's not true. The fact that you always argue proves that it's not an objective difference. It's because there is a dislike between these two people. Automatically, whatever you say, I'll say opposite. Unfortunately, I've been introduced to people like that. That literally, you say black, they say white. You say red, they say blue. They can never agree with you on anything because it's almost like I'm giving in. If I agree with you, in other words, you're right on something, then that, that, that means I relinquish my battle. No, 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 no. You're wrong on everything. If we're faribald, you did nothing right. So often you'll hear it like this. You know, like, Rabbi, I haven't spoken to um, my brother-in-law in years Ah, Moshchis, ah, this, ah, that, he's a disaster, etc. And it's, there's no goodness in the person. Then you get to know that person from a different perspective. The person that, per, you know, let's call person A hates person B and describes you a whole narrative about who person B is. It's happened to me. And then I got to know person B. And person B, not perfect, but definitely not the mobster that person they described him to be. And you sit there wondering to yourself, you're like, this person A is convinced that that person B is fundamentally wrong. They are wrong on every single matter. And and person A walks around sort of saying, it, it, I'm not being petty. Objectively, they're wrong. So, for example, let's talk politics because it, it's much less impersonal. Let's talk American politics because it's even less impersonal. So the Democrats and Republicans will always disagree on pretty much everything. Why? Because if you're a right-winger and the left-winger says something, then the left-winger, they are absolutely out to destroy America the way we know it. They Everything that comes to their mouth is pure evil. It's all part of one big conspiracy. The other side, the left, looks at the right and sits there saying, those are a bunch of radical, mishigayim, blah, 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 blah. These guys are a bunch of peanut brain holding onto their Bibles. They don't know what they're doing. And I remember one time I actually, you know, I grew up with, a, with, with uh, listening to certain right-wing media. And I would say that at a certain stage in my life, uh, politically, I was very right-wing. 
um, I'm talking about American politics, right wing, and each country has a different context. So let me just qualify. So I remember one time taking a test. They, 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 there was a website that says, okay, now you could take a test and see if you are liberal or conservative. And I was convinced I'm going to come out 100% conservative because, you know, I've totally figured this out. I know exactly how it's going to work. You know what happened? I was 65% conservative and 35% liberal. And chances are if I took the test today, it would be a little even more um, middle ground. And I remember thinking to myself and saying, one second, but I'm either this or that. I'm either conservative or liberal. I can't be both. Because what do you mean? If, if, if they're wrong, they're wrong on everything. And if they're right, they're right on everything. And then one day you wake up and you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Life is rarely like that. Just because you dislike the person, at least be honest that you're not having an intellectual argument with them. It's a dislike. So, for example, even local politics. The opposition party always has to say that the governing party is problematic. And the governing party always has to accuse, accuse the opposition party of just causing problems. But the thing is, no governing party does 100%, right? No governing party says 100% wrong. And again, I'm not justifying anything. All I'm saying is it's impossible, unless the guy's an absolute mobster and a gangster of note, that everything they do is wrong. And yet, as an opposition party, your role is to pretty much the whole day harp on the fact that the governing party is corrupt and destructive. And that's hopefully the way you get into the governing party. And then the previous governing party starts becoming your opposition and absolutely driving you mad. But the truth is, if you ask yourself, you guys are just pretty much, you set up a political system where both of you have to curse each other out all day. That's what it is. That's what opposition parties are. That's what politics and these kind of systems work that there's the governing and the opposition. So by fundamentally, they have to disagree. It's not that they sat down intellectually and they sat in the morning and said, do we agree objectively with what they did? No. Fundamentally, we have to disagree. That's what we do. So often you'll find fights in the community. You know, some people will go right wing and some people go left wing. And it's pretty much consistent. Every single argument, the same people go right wing and the same people go left wing. As if there's no nuance in thought. There's no complexity. Life is not complicated at all. If you're right-wing, then you're right-wing on every single scenario. And if you're left-wing and you're liberal, then you're liberal on every single scenario. And I ask myself, really? Really? Is that how black and white life is? Is that how square life is? Because if we were actually looking for truth, Ruth, truth is complex and subtle and nuanced. And it's rarely this or that. It's often a very big mixture in between. What are your thoughts? This is 101.9 Chai FM. This is the Fabringen with Rabbi Levi Avtson on 101.9 Chai FM. So what are we talking about today? We're talking about the cause of disunity and the cause of unity, which rarely are so simple. And Rabbi Shalom Dober has a strong argument that unity is an outcome of humility. Interesting, this week's Parsha, we read the words humble. The Torah tells us, That Moshe was the most humble person that ever lived, humble in front of every single human being, regardless of who or what they are. Ha'adam, every single human being, Moshe was humble. And therefore, in that humility, God says, I love him. Bechol Beisineman, who I trust him in my entire home. Moshe had this most incredible passionate relationship with Hashem. Why? One of the main reasons is because he didn't take up space. There was no ego. In a world now 
in which everybody's screaming they want unity. Everyone's screaming words like equality. And most people mean it very sincerely, 100%. I believe that if we take the words of Rabbi Shalom Dover to heart, it might actually offer a clearer roadmap, simpler, um, easier, and more straightforward than just screaming that we want we should get along. The roadmap of each and every one of us working on taking up less space in this world. And when I mean space, I don't mean in a green way, eating less, um, you know, ruining less of the world and using less toilet paper. What I am, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, there's room for, you know, obviously extremely important to take care of our planet. But I'm talking about taking up less space ego-wise. Because imagine you walk into a home where the husband and wife, where the children where the uncles and aunties, where the in-laws, everyone doesn't take up space. You know what kind of home that is? It's called functional. And you know what kind of home it is when people don't get along and where there's so much ego and everyone's dancing around each person's ego because that person, oh my gosh, don't you dare say this because I will blow a fuse because I have a lot of triggers and the other person with their triggers, etc. The more I take up space, the more my relationships suffer. A dysfunctional family, one way of looking at it is, is too many people taking up too much space. And automatically their space clashes because there's not enough room for so many egos in my little home. However, if I stop taking up space, in other words, I just get along. I'm easygoing. I'm chilled. Give you an example. Sitting on Friday night table. Cool. You've ever sit down Friday night table and you have 20 guests. You've had this before, I guarantee you. And you have one fellow who doesn't know their space. Man, woman, whoever, young, old, they're not picking up the social cues very well. And they are coming and saying the most tactless or stressed out or just angry things possible. You know how quickly they could ruin the whole energy in the meal? Like that. Easy peasy. Now, I understand there's 20 people in the room, but what happened was one person did not appreciate that I shouldn't be taking up the space. The space has to be shared by all 20 of us. There's room for conversation. No, it's all about me. And I will talk about whatever I want to talk about. And then what happens? You've sucked the room out of its unity. You've sucked the comfort out. And you've created awkwardness. It takes one person to hijack a space. I was one time in a lecture. And it was all going well, and one person decided to hijack the lecture for a certain agenda. And you could just see this whole room, the energy changed. Hundreds of people, but one person decided to push a certain agenda, which people felt was inappropriate, and just sucked the energy out of the room. Ego is the problem, not disunity. Disunity is a symptom. If I stop taking up space, in other words, I... Don't walk around thinking that the whole world surrounds me. I walk around and I don't think that the person walking down the road is in any way invading my space. I don't see people as a threat. I don't see people as in any way diminishing me. I don't see when people fight for their rights in any way that diminishing my rights. One of the ironic things I found in the last few weeks is if that person screaming for their rights, then we should scream for our rights. There's room for a lot of rights in this world. There's room for a non-racist society, and there's a room for non-antisemitic society, and there's a room for non-xenophobic society, and there's a room for non-sexist society. There's room for every single tolerance. And one person's rights in no way infringes on the other. We can all walk around 
believing in the dignity of other people without seeing other people as threat. That the, what bothers me is when I hear people sit there saying, how dare they fight for their rights? What about mine? How did it become about you? you whatever. You want it to become about you, fine. But at least be honest, it's not about you. Each time a, a piece of news comes and surfaces to the world, the first thing it is how it makes me feel about me. But maybe, just maybe, it's not about me. I believe that the most religious words a person can ever say, other than treat your neighbor as yourself, the most religious words a person could say, it's not about me. That's it. Religion is there to make you remember it's about God and not about you. If religion makes you more egocentric, then religion has totally failed you, or you failed religion is a better way of putting it. But true faith, is when somebody finally comes to acknowledge it's not about me. So the next time you hear somebody screaming and sit there saying, let's all get along. Well, how about we take the first word out? Let's. How about we? It's not, let's take ourselves out. If I wasn't full of myself, I'd get along with everybody. If you weren't full of yourself, you'd get along with everybody. You know, I always say that, uh, and I'm not sure I'm right, but that's my thought. That marriage therapy is overrated. Not that people shouldn't go to marriage therapy, but I think if he went to therapy and dealt with his stuff, and she went to therapy and dealt with her stuff, and they both got their egos out of the way, 95% of the marriage issues would be solved, and then they could go to marriage therapy for the other 5%. But rarely is a marriage therapy, a marriage issue, a marriage issue. It's a personality issue. I take up too much space. And because I take up too much space, the marriage isn't great. And the other person takes up too much space. And then that marriage is not great. However, if we can all just get along, how about then, if we could all just take less space, this world would be beautiful. The answer is not that I and you must get along. It's that I should be less I, you should be less you. Let us just play the role we're here to play and get out of the way. And then we'll get along automatically because we are one. It's only our ego that makes us feel we're separate. But together we are one. I want to finish with a song. It's called, I believe, The Place Where I Belong. A beautiful song. I hope it's enough time to play it. I want to thank Craig. I want to thank the whole team at Chai FM. Thank you. And thank you to all the Facebook listeners. God bless you. God bless you all. Have a great day. This is Rabbi Levi Austin signing off from Linksfield Shoal. Have a great week.